Today is a really, really, really busy day. First of all, in Lesser Feasts and Fasts, the most current edition, which changes with every general convention, we are doing a trial use for someone called Catherine of Genoa. It's also because yesterday was the feast of uh, the Holy Cross. It was the foundation day of the Brotherhood of St. Gregory. So today among the Brotherhood, it is assigned as an All Souls Day specifically for the brothers, the Gregorian brothers who have passed to God. So it's All Souls Gregorian. It's also an Ember Day. What's that? It's the Wednesday of the Ember Tide in the autumn, which are the Wednesdays and Fridays and Saturdays in and around the um, two solstices and the two equinoxes. So they're seasonal festivals and they were originally harvest festivals, but they have also become times when um, right after Holy Cross, right after uh, St. Lucy's Day in the winter, uh, right after the first uh, Sunday in, in Lent and right after Pentecost, three days of fasting is a fast that's a feast where we give thanks, but we get very internal and we consider our vocation. And so seminarians and all priests and ministers and all religious get to write a letter, not a confession. It's, it's a, um, a rounding up of what you've done and where you are with what you've done. You know, how are you doing? And I will be writing mine for Richard as I always do. But let's start with Catherine of Genoa and how do all these things tie together and how do they tie with the parable of the vine and those words of Jesus that you are my friend. You're adopted. God, my father is your father. You're not alone, you are loved. You are in the family of God, in the family. Not just kinda, you wandered into town, you have a bed and board room. You're in the family. You eat at the table. You're cared for when you're sick. You are loved when you are well. And out of that love, you reach out, you take care of each other. It's a set the table. Catherine of Genoa, she's a peculiar one. Catherine of Genoa is remembered both for her ministry in nursing the sick during repeated plagues, well, they had them, and also for the works that she wrote recounting her mystical experiences. And I will explain those to you. Her writings became widely known when they were made after the subject, uh, when they were made the subject of Baron Frederick von Hugel's classic work, Mystical Elements of Religion in 1908. So it took about a thousand years for somebody to rediscover what she wrote. Uh, not a thousand years, um, 600 years, a bunch of years. Uh, Catherine was born in Genoa in 1447, the youngest of five children as a teenager, 13. She wanted to become a nun, but her application to the convent was denied. It was turned in by her priest. The mother superior was really smart. She said, uh-uh, she's too young. 
My girlfriend, Lee, said that when she was in uh, Catholic school, she and all her girlfriends used to write to all the uh, local um, uh, nunneries, the convents, to get information about becoming a nun. And they would choose which convent they went to because of what they wore for a habit, which had the prettiest clothes. 13 was a little young. And the mother superior said, no, no, you wait and see if you still feel that way. Well, that wasn't the life that God chose for her. And she was married at 16 to um, uh, Gilano Adorno as part of an attempt of his family and her family, who were nobly quite well-to-do, to end a feud. They had a miserable marriage, a really miserable marriage, so much that for 10 years, she was praying to God, make me so sick I can stay in bed all day and I don't have to be his wife. Uh, the trajectory of her life was changed on March 22nd, 1473, when she had a sudden mystical experience. While she was in church in the middle of making her confession to a priest, she was suddenly struck with an overpowering sense of the overwhelming love of God. She was so stunned and dazed by this experience that she walked out of the church without even completing her confession. We're talking the 15th century here. This is big stuff. This is not OG whiz. Um, this was the beginning of a life of profound prayer. And I will describe some of that in a bit. Catherine combined a deep and intense contemplative life with an active dedication <clears throat> to caring for the sick in the local hospital. In time, her husband joined her in the work. He had a conversion. Gee, gosh. And the couple became increasingly close to one another through their shared labor for those in need. They eventually moved uh, together into the uh, Panatome, the large hospital in, in Genoa, in order to devote themselves completely to caring, caring for the sick there. There, Catherine also dictated a number of works of mystical theology, which were published some 40 years after her death. Catherine insisted that God should be loved only for God's self and not for anything that one might expect to receive from him, insisting that pure love loves God without any for. You don't love God because God will make you rich or famous or God will give you a title. She also wrote, all that I have said is nothing compared to what I feel within, the witnessed correspondence of love between God and the soul. For when God sees the soul as pure as it was in its origin, he tugs, tugs at it without a glance, draws it, and bends it to himself with a fiery love that by itself could annihilate the immortal soul. She died on September 15th, 1510, while nursing the sick and was buried in the hospital chapel. That sounds very Gregorian to me. The charism that the brothers developed now just entering their 53rd year started out as a group of <clears throat> uh, church musicians because at the bottom of everything he wrote, 
uh, J.S. Bach wrote, Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone the glory. Yes, I know everybody's telling me I'm the best musician in the world and I'm the best organist in the world and I have a good job. That's not what this is about. I wrote this in the spirit of God and for God alone. Everything else is secondary. Growing from that, these church musicians, when they wrote their rule and became official, discovered that St. Gregory the Great was a gift in many, many, many ways. He was a monk and an abbot, and he, got, he had started out in the civil service. You know, he was the um, secretary of something or other in the cabinet of, the, of somebody or other in, in, in the civil service. So when he was called to be Pope, he was called not because he was holy, although he was profoundly, but because he was a good administrator. Catherine of Genoa was the um, official who ran that hospital and its bookkeeper. She was the CEO of the hospital and its bookkeeper, and she nursed the sick. Those are the two sides of an apostolate in the world that I find as not a brother, I can't be a brother, it's a boy's order, not as a sister, because the sisters have, they have really left that charism in, in, in the way that I see it. But as a solitary, sister of the of, of the church and my name when i take the vows ultimately my final vows will be written in a book in the annals of the house of bush bishops this isn't just casual my name will be there among the religious along with the deacons and priests and bishops and everybody else this is a real thing but that the call that i have is the one that Gregory had, and it's the one that Brother Richard Edward has. And it's the one that Catherine of Genoa had. Catherine of Genoa, even after she was widowed, never, ever entered a convent. She never became a nun. This is really strange in the 15th century. A lot of women did find, and men, at the end of their life, would go into official religious life. No, she just lived in the, uh, in the hospital and took care of patients and did the books. This is the heart of why I'm called as kind of an ex officio Gregorian, because that's something that Pope St. Gregory did as monk and as a priest and as a, a bishop. Uh, it's something that, that Richard does, and it's something that I do, and it's something that Catherine did. Catherine's most famous work was on the soul in purgatory. Why purgatory? If she had written that 200, 300, 400 years earlier, she wouldn't have written about purgatory. Purgatory is an invention. So is limbo. Uh, once the church got busy trying to make the church more church than the church as it does frequently, 
Um, purgatory was invented because they were trying to figure out what happens to sinful people. Remember last week's sermon from Richard, what did he call it? The imitation, somebody can help me. What was it called? The imitation syndrome? The day you get up in the morning, I get this all the time. I, 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 Richard and I have talked about it. Everybody gets this. You wake up in the morning, you read something, you start reading, I don't know, anything. You open to the beginning of Corinthians, you're going to reread something you, you read before. And it's suddenly something strikes you and you say, I, I'm a sinful person. I, th th this is not real enough for me. Uh, my relationship with people isn't, isn't pure enough. It's not Christ-like enough. I'm a mess. And you may not be such a mess, but you have those moments when they, when they stop. And you stop and you do a self-examination and you think about it some, and you pray. And then if you have a good spiritual director, thank you. <laughs> uh, they'll say, this is a garden variety of garden variety sin you're all right you know just keep working on it that's life that's the life that we choose that's the life of of the of the christian of the deacon priests religious that's what we do we look at ourselves constantly and we're trying to assess whether we made it or not what she saw in the language of purgatory which was this invention to put people who were in that place who were saying, am I worthy of heaven? No, we're not. That's the point of Jesus. We don't have to be. Thank God. When you're in that place, where do we put you until you get better? Purgatory. Where do we put unbaptized babies? Limbo. Well, that doesn't really square with what we heard Jesus say in the parable of the vine. That's just not who I see Jesus as God and man told us what God is to us and who God is to us. That mercy is there from the very beginning and our wobbliness is accepted because that's who we are. That's who he made us. He made us the people who could, could struggle. We're not automatons. He didn't make a bunch of automatons. We could struggle. We could figure it out. We could have those days when I say, who am I to do this? And there are days when you say, God is with me. And you know, I've had the experience of that love of God, which is so overwhelming and so mixed with fear and awe that it, it's beyond words. What she saw and she writes about in those chapters, and I've read them, is the burning out of everything except the love of God, because it is so pure and so awesome and so all-encompassing that it burns the soul. The way she saw it was the way the church had taught her, and I believe falsely, that that was to burn out the evil until we became good. And I don't think that's really her message. Her message is and always was, I have moments of grace when I feel the overwhelming love of God so completely in my soul that it burns, it's beyond words, and it's good. 
And I welcome it because once you have God, as St. Thomas Aquinas said on his deathbed, once you have God, all else is strong. And yet in her world and in her life, she got up in the morning, washed her face, got into her clothes, went down to take care of the people in the bed, went into her office, checked the balance, you know, shook the bag to see how much money had come in overnight. And she did the work in the world. And this is what Pope St. Gregory did and so many others. You and you and you and you and me. We all do this as a fly. I'm chasing flies. And Beelzebul is in the house. Um, we all do this. And that's why I can pray with the Gregorians and say, I am a Gregorian. The brothers love me, many of whom understand and accept me. I'm sure some of them, it gives the gym jams. And I'm not quite sure how we're going to work on that, but that's all part of living in the world. And how I can be in the world and how I can want to be vowed to nothing else but pure, unadulterated, 100% service to God in the world and in prayer, because that's where we all are on our journey to the heavenly kingdom. And that's how we are all making this world a little bit of the heavenly kingdom. So go and write your ember day letters. You don't need to write them to your priest. God knows the last thing Richard needs right now is a couple of hundred letters in his box. Write it to God. Write it to yourself. Write it to St. Catherine. Write it to Pope Gregory. He's got time. Where have I been? What have I been doing? Is it okay? Okay, yes, it's okay. It is okay. Uh, any suggestions? Uh, I can see where I need a little tweaking there, maybe. What do you think? And then you get up in the morning, you wash your face, you say your prayers, and you go down and take care of the people in the bed, the kids that need their lunch, driving the kid up to college, answering your email, preparing for service. And that is the life of Catherine of Genoa. It's also the life of Brother Joseph, uh, Brother Joe, Joey, who's a nurse, posts every morning in which fancy shirt he's worn on his bicycle on his way to serving in the hospital and to serving the Brotherhood. So let us ask Catherine to pray for us. Let's ask Gregory to pray for us. And let us recognize that we are all a little bit maybe Gregorians, maybe not, but we all serve God alone. Solo Deo, Soli Deo Gloria, as servants of the servants, servant of God, for the glory of God, and for the burning love of God that he has for each of us. And that burning love that we share with each other.
Amen.